Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that looks at the latest trends in motoring and transport for the serious and not so serious issues. I'm David Brown. And in this program, we look at news stories with David Campbell, including Sydney toll road users to get free rego after spending $25 per week. We've been to the launch of the all-new Toyota Camry. We give our first impressions. We road test the Honda CRV, one of the first compact SUVs on the market, and now into its fifth generation. And in our panel discussion with Brian Smith and Errol Smith, we take a genial look at stories including Amsterdam's beer bikes banned over congestion and disorderly behaviour, not DUI. Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. You can listen to longer segments by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. Now, to begin the program... Let's have the news. The New South Wales government has announced that motorists who rack up large bills on Sydney's toll roads will get their car registration for free. Premier Gladys Berejiklian said people who pay an average of $25 or more in tolls each week over a 52-week period would be eligible. Sydney residents have to pay to use nine different stretches of road, including the Eastern Distributor, the Cross City Tunnel and the Sydney Harbour Bridge and Tunnel. On some roads, motorists can pay more than $7 along one stretch and the number of toll roads is only set to increase, with the West Connects, which is currently under construction as well as the proposed F6 and Northern Beaches Tunnel. The Premier would not reveal just how much the scheme is estimated to cost, but said she was expecting thousands of people to access it. She said the scheme would increase toll road usage. Uber has entered into an agreement with carmaker Volvo to purchase 24,000 of its XC90 SUVs between 2019 and 2021 to form a fleet of autonomous vehicles. The XC90 is the base of Uber's latest generation self-driving test car, which features sensors and autonomous driving computing capability, which is installed by Uber after purchase. The deal is said to be worth around $1.4 billion, with the XC90 starting at around $46,000 in the US in terms of base model consumer pricing. Uber is already testing the XC90 in trials to fully develop autonomous driving, and the vehicle ready for self-driving implementation. Meanwhile, driverless rival Waymo, Google's autonomous vehicle unit, recently announced plans to launch its own self-driving ride-hailing service, which might be part of the impetus behind Uber accelerating its own plans. Still, no timeline has been given from either company for when everyday users might be able to access the services in a non-testing capacity. Drag racing was recently suspended by the Western Australian Government following the death of eight-year-old Anita Board at a Perth drag racing event. Anita, who had celebrated her birthday just days before the tragedy, was practising to get her drag racing licence at the Perth Motorplex. Eight is the minimum age for a junior licence set by the Australian National Drag Racing Association. Acting Premier of Western Australia, Roger Cook, said raising the legal age for competing in drag racing events would be considered. 
Recently, US automaker Tesla unveiled not one, but two new vehicles. In a carefully managed nighttime event, Tesla unveiled a prototype for a battery-powered, nearly autonomous semi-truck that the company said would prove more efficient and less costly to operate than today's long-haul diesel trucks, and without any emissions. And from the rear of the launch vehicle, CEO Elon Musk drove out in a new prototype Roadster. He announced that the Roadster would be able to reach 100 kilometers per hour in just 1.9 seconds and travel nearly 1,000 kilometers before needing to recharge. The Semi is due to be available in 2019 and the Roadster in 2020. However, some commentators feel that rather than announce new vehicles, Tesla needs to address its current production problems, particularly relating to the Model 3. The company still has over 400,000 paid reservations for the Model 3, and it needs the revenue from these sales to cover its costs, or it needs to raise more capital. It may probably need both. A rail company in Japan has apologised after one of its trains departed 20 seconds early. Management on the Sabuka Express line between Tokyo and the city of Sabuka say they sincerely apologise for the inconvenience caused. The mistake happened because staff had not checked the timetable properly. However, it added that no customers had complained about the early departure from the northern Tokyo station. It is rare for trains in Japan, which has one of the world's most reliable railway systems, to depart at a different time to the one scheduled, even just 20 seconds. In New Zealand, a motorist was recently caught playing part of a set of bagpipes while driving. Officers working a roadside checkpoint in Dunedin discovered the motorist was more interested in making music than watching the road. Police said that the driver didn't have his hands on the wheel at the time and he was clearly playing the instrument while driving the car. After the motorist was stopped, it was revealed the man's instrument of choice was the chanter from a set of bagpipes. He was issued with a warning. And that has been the news. The Toyota Camry has always been a solid, conservative vehicle. It is a rational approach to motoring. It has been functional more than inspiring. And it has sold very well, but times are changing. Toyota has just launched the 8th generation Camry 34 years after it was first introduced. It is the first Camry to be sold in Australia in 30 years that has not been built here. Overdrive has produced a video from the launch, which you can find on our website at drivenmedia.com.au. Here are a few extracts from that video. While the Camry has a conservative heritage, Toyota knew it had to break new ground. The chief engineer for the Toyota Motor Corporation, Musatu Katsumata, who led the design and production of this vehicle, does not hold back on the need to make this a car of performance and looks. We have to change our mind and especially the styling. My focus point is an originally driving performance, but without any styling change, no customer may appreciate that the performance. So then uh, we have to focus on the completely unprecedented change styling. This is the first mm. target for us. From the front, there are some distinctive lines and features, but while they are strong statements, it's not too over the top in the way of some other Toyota products. One thinks most particularly of their small SUV, the CHR. The angular hourglass front grille and side fake vents clearly have a bit of Lexus about them. 
I think the success of the vehicle as an overall design package is best shown from the side. Following a trend that has appeared on a number of vehicles, most recently the Kia Stinger, there is a long bonnet with a slight arching effect as it goes from window to grille. The look along the length of the vehicle shows a car that has good proportions for such a big car. There's a clever crease at the back between the roof and the waistline, which gives the impression of a lower fastback look, while at the same time not having to drop the roofline a great deal. The roof and the rear window extend back, which is great for passenger headroom, but it does compromise the size of the boot opening, although once inside the boot there is a cavernous space with around 500 litres of capacity. The rear of the car has some strong features without ugly protrusions. There is a very narrow little wannabe vent from the rear taillights heading downwards about 250mm. I think it fits okay on the brighter or darker coloured cars, although on a white vehicle the black vent gives the look of a Fu Manchu moustache. The sleek profile is more than just a few clever design features. The car is longer and clearly lower, while at the same time providing more space for passengers inside. While the car is lower, it is not awkward to get into. There are four specification grades with the Camry that have new names. The base model is the Ascent. Next is the Ascent Sport. The word sport in a car's specification is not what it used to be. It doesn't mean extra power or better handling, and from what I can work out, the Ascent Sport Camry gives you a bit more bling on the outside and a few features inside, such as dual climate control. Level 3 is the SX, which is the more sporty looking, including having the largest wheels at 19 inches with corresponding low-profile tyres. The highest level is the SL, and is aimed at luxury, with 18-inch rims with correspondingly not-so-aggressive low-profile tyres, which can help with a smooth ride. The previous model Camry was sold only as a four-cylinder, this 8th generation Camry will have both 4 and 6 cylinder engines. Toyota tells us that the powertrain for the hybrid vehicle is all new. The petrol engine is also a 2.5 litre 4 cylinder. If it's new and better, I don't know why they don't use it in the base model. It's rated at an outstanding 4.2 litres per 100 combined cycle fuel consumption. In fact the figure is much the same for city or country driving. The screens are 7 or 8 inches depending on the model, but I particularly like the 10-inch head-up display on the top of the range SL. Toyota believes that its entertainment control system has been developed with great care and understanding and does a great job, and so they don't see the need to do a link to Apple CarPlay or Android Auto. I think they're wrong. It's not that their system is bad, it's just that as we move into a future where more and more people will be renting different cars at different times, the need for familiarity is an important safety feature. Recommended retail prices have gone up and down depending on the model. Prices start at $27,690 and go all the way to nearly $44,000, but to this you have to add on-road costs. The new Camry is very much fit for purpose in its functionality and thankfully it is not a dowdy family sedan. It will appeal to a range of people but it still represents a large car that has the capacity to take five people in comfort with a good deal of luggage.
And that has been some audio extracts from the Overdrive video on the launch of the new Toyota Camry, which can be seen on our website at drivenmedia.com.au. You're listening to Overdrive. The Honda CRV began production about 1995 and was one of the first, if not the first, in the well, relatively smallish SUV market. It has grown a bit in size since then. It is now classified in Australia as a medium size SUV. Around that time, we also saw things at the beginning, like the RAV4, which again started as pretty small and cutesy, but has grown in size as well. The CRV started well, but there was that whole period of Honda where they just didn't keep pace. They always made some pretty nice engines, but they weren't developing, they weren't progressing as much as the other models around it. Now the fifth generation CRV has hit the market and Errol Smith and I have been for a drive and Errol joins me on the line. Errol, let's uh, start with it. It's quite a classy looking car now, isn't it? Yeah, I think they've they've sort of hit a sweet spot between conservative and, and, and interesting. <laughs> Unlike the Civic, which we recently had, which I think is trying to be a bit too sporty and aggressive, uh, they sort of got a, a nice look to this. It's not too, it's not too sort of over the top in, in any direction, and it's not it's without being boring either in the appearance department. It used to be called a compact SUV. Some now call it a compact crossover, and the word crossover I think is quite advised because it is striving to be as smooth and as good as a sedan. Maybe uh, you sit a bit higher, but uh, certainly this fifth generation has made some major steps. Uh, Let's talk about the engine. Uh, It's not as big as some of the other engines you might get, which can be two litres and maybe even up to 2.5 in some of the other competitive models. This is a turbo. How big is it, Errol? It's only 1.5 litres, which doesn't sound like much. Much power? It's uh, putting out 140 kilowatts and 240 newton metres, so it's uh, not bad. 140 is uh, pretty mm. credible. Uh, it's mm. c- certainly a very workable amount of horsepower there. And the, the being a turbo, the 240 newton metres start at a 2,000 revs per minute, which I think is rather good. What sort of transmission has it got? You've got a choice of CVT or CVT yeah. uh, with the Hondas. But have, having said that, a lot of people don't like them, but I think it works quite well in this. And the performance was actually pretty good, I thought, from the, from the engine and, and transmission combo. Look, they go well. If you really start pushing them, you start to lose that sense of relationship between the revs of the engine, which if you're pushing, you can hear more clearly versus Mm. the actual speed. Because being a continually variable transmission, you've got no idea exactly what ratio it's working at at the moment. But so it's not bad. Ride and handling? I thought it was really good. Uh, It's it's probably on the softer, more comfortable side, but I think it's uh, sort of a perfect sort of ride for... But let's face it, it's it's a suburban vehicle. It's gone much better than the waffly, bumpy, lumpy ride that uh, it used to have, possibly aimed for the American market initially. I think it's now a more world market to do with it. The interior, I like that blind spot camera and the reversing camera. So if you put the left-hand blinker on or if you turn it on, it will show you the left-hand side blind spot. Mm, Yeah, I think it's a a great feature and it's a standard in the... On, on the range well you don't get any of the sort of smart features like lane departure warnings and things like that unless you go for the top of the range models but uh yeah it's it's good 
good feature anyway. You've got to say, it's the clarity of the the picture is unbelievable. It's like watching, you know, your, your top-class television. It's I'm mm. just amazed at how good it is. And it also has little markings on the screen that come up when the you know it's part of the digital display, which gives you some idea of just how far back the car is. Leg mm. room and, and your sitting and driving position? It's a very comfortable vehicle, and there's good uh, leg room both front and rear, which is sort of unusual in the, this, some of these kind of cars. And it's, yeah, quite comfortable in the back for adults good folding rear seat system that they have and you can actually yeah. get a seven seat version of it which is unusual internal storage and boot space not bad for its size yeah i think it's, it's all pretty good in that department those fancy flat fold seats are quite good where the base of the seat actually drops as you as you fold the seat down yeah, yeah. Uh, a five-year unlimited uh, kilometre warranty, so they're backing it. I think that's uh, mm. rather good. The sat-nav, you have a few issues with the sat-nav? Yeah, look, it worked well most of the time, uh, and it shows you what the current speed limit is, although it did get a little bit confused when I was in a sort of a tunnel underneath a road and it thought I was on the road and it kept telling me to turn off side streets that were impossible. But overall, how would you describe it? Well, David, it's been a stable mate in the sort of small medium SUV class for years and it's I think it's still up there with them it's you know it's extremely practical comfortable easy to drive although not perhaps that exciting vehicle it's not made for the hoons but it's competent in all that it does particularly and it's a major step between uh, generation four and generation five Errol Absolutely. always always good to talk to you I love your detailed appreciation thanks for your time <laughs> no worries David oh but in fact Errol we'll catch you up for some quirky news as well Absolutely. Talk to you soon. This is Overdrive across Australia. And so now we get to the end of the program and we have some quirky news. Joining me on the line is Errol Smith. Guy Errol. G'day, David. And Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. Now, some quick little uh, reflections. So Virgin Trains have offered a signed toilet seat, signed by Will Ferrell, who some people call a comedian, as a prize and in a particular competition. Gentlemen, Brian, would you want to enter that competition and win the prize? Well, look, David, I've often uh, I've often signed my name on various bits of train architecture seats and such, and look, uh, it hasn't been offered as a prize uh, for me. <laughs> it's been the reverse, in fact. <laughs> offered you as a problem. Errol, would you like to win this one? Well, David, I've always wanted to drop one on Will Ferrell, and now I'll <laughs> finally have the chance. <laughs> of all the things on a train, I think the toilet seat must rate as the lowest. Or anything from the canteen, a used coffee cup, or any of those things would be, uh, to my mind, a, a second prize, which would be just as bad. Now, an Andrew McDonald's Nuggets man. He's been charged with drink driving after he ordered 200 hash browns. Apparently, he was upset that something wasn't being offered uh, for him with the chicken nuggets. So he uh, did uh, 200. He was uh, stopped waiting for his order, and uh, they called the police. He was over the limit. Errol, is this a profile? filing is this justified they only had the breakfast menu and he wanted something on the uh the non-breakfast menu so um i think they would have had less trouble if they didn't have that 50 hash browns per purchase limit because he went through the drive-through four times uh before they eventually called the cops on him to order his 200 hash browns but i think ultimately everyone could have been saved a lot of bother if he just went around the corner 
as this example clearly shows that it takes 200 hash browns to replace a single donor kebab with a lot. <laughs> Brian, would you uh, vent your anger in this manner? I think they should have let him uh, uh, order the hash browns and then, then called him an ambulance instead. <laughs> yeah. I, I like the idea that uh, of profiling, that perhaps anyone who goes to a McDonald's drive through maybe ought to be... <laughs> Alcoholic tested as well, or it might be, of course, the new sobriety test. Think you could order it. Yeah. <laughs> now, gentlemen, a little while ago we did the story of the Amsterdam's beer bikes. People pedalled around on a table with a rather clever series of pedal bicycle pedals to it and drank while they went. They've been banned, but not because of alcohol, DUI, but over congestion. Is this a valid... Uh, Traffic engineering uh, response, Brian? David, I think we need to very quickly move towards the autonomous um, <laughs> autonomous beer bike. And that may well solve the problem with technology. <laughs> so the computer tells you in a pedal. First <laughs> one that, that just stays in one place. As a quick aside, I was at the Driverless Vehicle Forum and Conference in Adelaide and I, we got talking about how we really need to get people to still have exercise and our idea of pedal rickshaws. I suggested that, and to some degree it was warmly welcomed. But, uh, Errol, you were, you, you were still talking about the uh, beer uh, bike, Errol. Yeah, well, well they, they say that congestion was one of the issues, which implies that there were too many of them. So there must have been too many of these... Beer bikes on the road at once to, to cause congestion. So they obviously were too popular. The only thing I'd say is it might get us used to car sharing because clearly it would have had to stop regularly on the side of the road. And I think the congestion may have come from that. Convivial, David. Conviviality. Well, stopping for other reasons, I guess, is that. Now, a few more serious stories. So I had to give um, Chair the last session of a transport conference on the future. And I've tried to show that our predictions for the future have not been very good. I referred, of course, to that significant scientific uh, coverage, the Jetsons, uh, the cartoon, which, of course, all it did was was um, put the, what we normally do now, but up in the air. They had corridors and freeways. They even had a policeman directing traffic. And George Jetson was in a little vehicle that he controlled himself, not autonomous. It polluted, and uh, he only carried one person per vehicle in most cases. So we didn't get that wrong. I, I tried others as well, but I'll go on to those later. Now, they've gone back to popular science in an article 50 years ago predicting the imminent arrival of all electric cars. They did note that they would need a super powerful battery and they mentioned hydrogen cells. Are we good at predicting the future, Brian? I've got a colleague who just, who says that the future is um, is oversold and under-delivered and, uh, and I think that it's the truth for electric vehicles and all sorts of, mm. of uh, sort of technologies that will save us. But some of the earliest cars were electric Oh, it's yeah. just really around um, the mass production and the, the getting sufficient power in the battery pack. And I, I think we're getting there now where we have the technology at a state where 
they can start to make to make sense for the kind of length of journeys that we're doing. But yeah, David, I think um, we're very hopeful about the future, solving all of our problems, and and each time we're surprised at how complicated and complex uh, saving the world is. Who said that we overestimate what will happen in two years and underestimate what will happen in ten years? Someone said that. I mean, you could say the same thing about flying cars as well as electric cars, because there's okay. been you know attempts at flying cars of one form or another for for years, and um, that, that hasn't happened. And of course, the Jetsons was about flying cars, which we don't have yet. The other thing is uh, probably Futurama was quite accurate because it had different forms of transport, including people being rushed along a tube, which you know might be appropriate. Hyperloop style. Yes. Yeah. And of course, what's the movie they've just uh, made again? Um, Blade Runner. Blade Runner Mm. predicted that there would be uh, a dystopia in about 2019 where everything fell apart. Clearly, he predicted Trump particularly accurately. (laughs) But you'll notice in there that uh, cars fly through the air, but over a general street that's got roadworks on it, and then they just hover down vertically into a parking spot. So parking is the same as well. So their prediction of the future got rid of one of the most uh, horrendous aspects of driving, namely the reverse park. (laughs) <laughs> yes oh by the way we talked about rickshaws then perhaps the best prediction of the future was the flintstones In well, you, stick, you, you, the, you stick your feet through the bottom of a car to make it bottom. move yeah <laughs> by the way of course it was uh, ferdinand porsche who began his career around 1900 on working on electric cars and the first six land speed records uh, set in 1888 and 1889, were in electric cars. Errol, you have a story for us. Yes, David. Researchers in Scotland have been studying the recent census done there, and they're trying to determine what makes someone feel more or less Scottish, as national identity was one of the questions asked. Well, you might be wondering what this has to do with cars or, or transport. Well, it turns out that the street you live on has a good correlation with how Scottish you feel, with those that live on streets commemorating Britain, like Queen, Royal or Regent Street, etc., less likely to feel Scottish. It also found that streets named church, chapel or similar religious terms tended to have people who are more religious. But of course, correlation is not causation. Which way does it? Because you're more religious, you move into a street called church or once you move into there, it has a supernatural effect on you. Mm. Well, they, they don't question. reach a conclusion on that. But uh... All right, uh, gentlemen, uh, lovely to talk to you. Talk to you again next week. Thanks for your time. Thank no you, worries, David. And that was Brian Smith and Errol Smith, and we were talking some unusual stories to do with motoring and transport. This has been Overdrive. My thanks to David Campbell, Errol Smith, Brian Smith and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can listen to longer segments by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.